our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Hello and welcome to Girls That Invest, the platform that empowers millennials through financial literacy. You're joined today by your host Sim and Sonia, two millennial investors who are extremely passionate about all things investing and personal finance. Before we dive into today's podcast, let's set the scene about investing, Sonia. Do you mind just, you know, giving us a brief rundown about what investing is? Yeah, sure thing. Investing is quite simple to understand. It is just putting your money into a financial vehicle, whether that be real estate, shares in the stock market, or even high-end commodities like a designer bag, solid gold jewelry, because you have that expectation that the value of that asset will increase over time and then give you a profit. Did you know that some people think or consider Birkin bags to be an investment? Like they will literally buy Birkins, not use them or like just keep them like, you know, really well kept and then they sell them for more money later. I believe that because a Birkin is like $100,000. So today we really just want to cover investing and why women should be investing. We've all kind of heard of the wage gap, you know, the idea that Women that are doing the same job as men in the same location for the same hours with the same background are still not making as much as their male counterparts. But less commonly discussed is the idea of a wealth gap. A wealth gap is essentially where women do not have the same amount of assets and are lacking behind quite significantly from their male counterparts, even when adjusting for all the other variables. Why does that matter? When women are not earning as much and they're not investing as much, it just becomes a vicious cycle. And, you know, women are missing out. Investing is a huge generator of wealth and not enough of us are harnessing it. I think women, we're really good at saving. Yeah. So putting everything to a savings account because that's low risk. We can sleep well at night because we know that money is in there. We can pull it out whenever we want to. But the thing with investing and that thing you were talking about, about harnessing like that power and ability to invest and have your money to actually grow, that's something that's not there. I wonder if it is a lack of awareness because I think 
at the end of the day, like I definitely myself grew up being someone that was like, you know, I'm going to save, I'm going to earn my money, I'm going to keep it in a bank account. And like, that is a smart choice. And then when I realized that there's this thing called inflation, which means (laughs) that leaving my money in a bank account actually leaves me with less money long term, I was like, wow, like I just didn't know. So I do wonder if it is just like an awareness thing of like a knowledge gap. What's quite funny, Sharesies and Smart Shares came out with a study in 2018 based on New Zealanders. So this is all New Zealanders, male and female. And the results honestly shocked me and I'm sure it shocked you because it found that only 35% of people said that they actually understand how investing works. 62% think that investing is risky. Those aren't non-significant numbers. And it just shows that, I mean, only 35% know how investing works. Therefore, you know, maybe that's the main reason why they're not actually taking that plunge into starting their journey. I completely agree. And I get that. Like, I get that if you don't understand how it works, like you're going to just be less inclined to give it a go. I just think there's such a huge gap and people providing knowledge or providing information and people thinking that they can learn or that they're capable enough of accepting the information. So that sort of leads into why this podcast came about and particularly this episode. We aren't really interested in telling people what to invest in or telling them what to do with their finances, but rather just educating people, putting information out there so that you can make your choices yourself and you feel empowered with the wealth of information to then go ahead and say this is what I want to do because I understand like xyz and I think when it comes to money it's definitely not a case of if you have lots of money money buys happiness I feel like it's more a case of having money gives you choices it gives you options you get to have the option of stopping working if you want to stay at home you have the option of leaving a bad relationship because you're not tied down with the finances you know you have the option of changing jobs for something that you enjoy more but pays you less and so I think that's really what we're trying to achieve here yeah because you're right money doesn't buy happiness but it does give you the choice I think most of us would agree that money can solve probably a more immediate life problems Mm -hmm. whether that is maybe going to a gp that you're more comfortable with but is out of your way and paying a little bit more for that gp or it could be as you mentioned like leaving a bad relationship traveling more taking the plunge to actually hey this job pays me probably about 30k less um but it's something that i enjoy doing when you have the assets and you have the passive income to do those things your immediate needs are being met and it's not a case of man I hate my job I want to leave it but I can't because then how will I get food on the table how will I pay for rent so for this first episode we decided to tackle the four biggest myths when it comes to investing in the stock market because often when the topic of investing or the share market comes up these myths they tend to surface and the conversation usually stops there because we don't know any better Mm -hmm. that's so true I feel like like you'll you'll bring up investing or you'll try to talk to you know friends about it and this has happened to me before I understood investing right so as soon as I would talk about it someone would be like oh well you know you lose all your money or you know you need to spend hours upon hours researching stocks and it's like oh okay 
I, I mean, I don't know any better. I'll just stop there. And the problem with that is that no one really knows and then no one has these conversations. And if you're just not talking about it full stop, like how are you going to learn? Exactly. I guess one of the main things that we found, and I guess the very first myth we'll talk about is you need to be very clever to invest. And so 62% of our community members in our Facebook group said that not understanding investing was their biggest barrier in starting their investing journey. And I think most people can agree with this. I mean, for me, certainly that was my biggest block, Mm -hmm. going back to conversations just stopping because Mm -hmm. we didn't know any better, I didn't know any better. Studies show that women actually tend to want to understand things completely before they dive into them, whereas men are more likely to give it a go and learn along the way. The world of finance, it is full of obscure terms that are quite intimidating if you're not in that field, and that can sometimes feel intentional. So quote-unquote, a normal person would have to go to a financial advisor to start investing. I'm here to tell you today that that is not the case at all. You do not need to know all the ins and outs of the financial world to start investing. And investing doesn't have to be this Wall Street power play that movies depict it to be with men ripping their hair out and looking at graphs, crying. I don't know if it's done on purpose and there's definitely theories and there's a lot of talk about in the financial world, all this jargon, was it used to stop normal people from just doing the thing themselves? Like, is all this jargon there to make people go, ah, like, I really don't understand taxes. I really don't understand investing. Let me just pay someone to do it for me, which is all fine and dandy. And I think there's definitely space for professionals to exist in every field. I just feel like with investing or with personal finance in general, it's personal finance. Like it should be personal. You should know how to handle your money. And yet we don't really get taught it. No, I mean, for the average person, It's just about understanding the basics. I mean, you might find yourself putting a little bit more research and doing a little bit more reading in the beginning, but I would argue that that's the case for most things in life. If you looked at the history of stocks through a lens, the term professional investor is largely a loose one. And I completely agree. Like, What is a professional investor? Is it someone who has made a lot of money because then anyone that's invested in index funds, people that don't care about what's happening in the investment world and they just do, you know, the same fund that they invest in. I mean, is that what a professional investor is? Is it someone who pays a lot of money to have their money invested? Is it the fund managers that make bank trying to outperform the market when only like 10% of them do every year. It's just, it's interesting. The image I get in my head is just going back to that Wall Street example I used before, Wolf of Wall Street, if anyone's seen it. It is a good movie, but it's very intense. That's what I think most people think a professional investor is. It's really interesting because I remember when I watched Wolf of Wall Street, like knowing that it was a dramatized movie I was like maybe I'll learn something like maybe absolutely not (laughs) maybe this movie will teach me about investing and it just left me more confused as it would as it would 
and I looked into it, I was like, like if you looked at like my history on Google, it would be like, how did Wolf of Wall Street make money? Like, what did they do? And it is not what normal investors do. Like, no. normal investors are just your average, everyday people. They spend maybe 20 minutes a month checking their investments. It's most of the time just done, like, auto-investing. It's just not what. I thought it was when I began. Putting this into a little bit of research, Sharesies did a study around Kiwi attitudes to investing. And what it found is what we kind of already know, knowledge is power. Those who know more about the share market are more likely to own shares. Revolutionary stuff, I know. (laughs) But Kiwis buying shares actually increase with age. And I think this is actually pretty common around the world as well. So it usually starts in their late 20s. And this declines in their 30s, which is interesting to me. My assumption is that usually in your 30s, you've got a little bit more responsibilities. Mm-hmm. You might get married, you start having kids, got mortgage, maybe less playing money with your income as you would in your 20s. But then it continues on an upward rise when we enter our 40s. And based on their survey results, that group usually consists of primarily males Aucklanders and those over the age of 60. Here's the interesting thing about being a good investor. All that being said, by large, it's not about doing extensive research on stock or even having a good gut instinct or knowing what's going on in particular industries. Being disciplined is the most important trait that matters to building wealth long term. You know, what's more successful is having a plan and sticking to it, regardless Mm -hmm. of what's going on in the world, because there's always going to be something that's going on in the world. Absolutely. Another really big myth that we've sort of been seeing, and we did ask our community on Facebook, on the Girls That Invest Facebook group, what they personally found as barriers. And the second biggest one was that people were scared of losing money or that investing seemed like gambling. I can understand that. I mean, you work so hard to earn your money. You don't want to put it somewhere where it's just going to essentially get flushed down the toilet. For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone and the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it, from local pop-ups to global retailers, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So how can tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple, increased revenue, expanded reach and enhanced customer experience. It's a win-win-win. To learn more about how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. To speak. It was really interesting. There was this investment company founder, Priya Milani, and she was saying that she found that young investors 
would view investing as you just pick some stocks of some companies, you cross your fingers and you just hope that you don't lose money. And Sonia here is laughing because she knows that that ain't it. That ain't it. (laughs) The key difference between investing and gambling is that when it comes to gambling, you are taking a chance, you're making a bet and there's nothing more that you personally can do about that situation. Whereas with investing, you get to spend a little bit more time doing research. You understand the company or the fund's pros and cons. You take into account your risk appetite. You're not basing your choices on speculation. You're not saying, oh, you know, like, I feel like Tesla's going to do well because I think Elon Musk is really cool and I'm just going to chuck $1,000 in it. That is not investing. With investing, you are making educated and informed decisions and you know what you're getting yourself into. Where do you think the idea of just losing all your money once you invest comes from? Given the GFC in 2008, the global financial crisis that we had, that was a time where a lot of people saw their money dip and a lot of people got scared and pulled their money out. And the thing with investing you do not lose money until you pull your money out from your investments or your stocks. That solidifies your losses. What I mean by that is if you have invested in the stock market, it drops, you just need to leave it there. You need to turn off the news, put your laptop away and not react to that by pulling out your money because at the end of the day, If you've lost a lot of money, there's a good chance that the stock market will eventually recover and you will make back those losses. And so what ends up happening, and it's quite interesting because I've seen a lot of financial advisors talk about this, where they have very smart, educated, successful clients, and yet when it comes to these same people seeing themselves lose money, all logic goes out the window when it's your own money, right? And they will just against the advice of their advisors they'll be like no just take my money out and the advisors will be like no like just leave it in there it will recover if you take it out now you are solidifying your loss and so it just comes down to that sort of emotional reaction to pull your money out when you're losing it that is when you lose your money but at the end of the day investing is what you do for the long term if you've got money in there leave it it will bounce back i think what's really interesting to note is if you look at the previous crashes in history, if you look at the 1929 crash, the 1973 crash, the 1987 Black Monday crash, the 2000.com bubble crash, even the last two crashes that we've had, every single time the market bounces back and it's a graph of an upwards trend. And while we can't base our investment decisions on what's happened in the past is worth looking at what's happened and taking that into account the next time you lose money quote unquote because you don't actually lose money until you pull it out and I think that's where that myth comes into. Something else that we have found that comes up and is also a myth is that you shouldn't invest until you're old and rich. For so many young people putting off any investment decisions until they get a high paying job, it seems like a no brainer really, you know, especially since most of us are dealing with things like student loans or, you know, just being a student in general. 
It's not like we're out here just throwing money away. The fact is, investing in your 20s, or if you've managed to find this podcast before you're 20, well done. It is actually the prime time to start your investing journey. Because let's talk about compound interest for a minute, shall we? Einstein named this the eighth wonder of the world. Compound interest essentially is just interest on top of interest. And it sort of works in a snowball effect. And over time, your money is working for you. Another way to describe compound interest is you start off with money and within a year's time, your investments make a little bit of money for you. Then the year after that, your investments plus a little bit of money makes money for you and so forth, right? And what ends up happening is roughly every 10 years, your money doubles. So the longer time you have, the more doubling occurs. Which is, I guess, what you mean when you talk about time being on your side. Yeah, 100%. Because when you're young, you're less likely to have heaps of money to invest compared to someone in their 50s. However, you do have a lot more time. Time investing can actually be more valuable than money. And time even beats out money, relatively speaking, if you have enough of it. Let me put into an example for you. Yes. If a 20-year-old invested 10000 and it grew at a 5%, right, which is historically quite a conservative rate, you'd have $70,000 by the time you were 60 years old. That same investment would only get you about 43000 if you started at 30 and only 26000 if you started at 40. Doesn't really make sense to wait and invest once you're older and more established because you'll miss out on the gains of time. I guess the key point I'm trying to get here at is get in there while you're young and watch your returns build on each other as you age, because it's about time in the market. We also get this question quite a bit, the idea that, all right, like, you know, investing is important, I understand that, but what about investing in, like, real estate rather than investing in shares, which I think is such a valid question. And honestly, people who are renowned investors will still argue this, like, to this day, and when it comes to investments and which is less risky and the idea of real estate being less risky than the stock market, I don't know if that necessarily is the case. I think that sort of stems from the idea of when it comes to your investments and the stock market, you see the price, you see the value increase or decrease multiple times a day. And that can come across as more risky or more speculative you have more to lose whereas with your home you don't have someone outside your house telling you how much your house is worth multiple times a day you don't even have that multiple times a week for most people they get their house price when they buy their house they get their house valuation when they're about to sell their house and you know that's a very clear-cut one-off movement from point a to b and it comes across like home valuations and home prices are steady and without risk but it's just how often you're hearing this Mm -hmm. and I think there's also quite a number of other things to consider with real estate investment there are some risks that you don't get with the stock market that you do with real estate with real estate your home you are using as an investment property it's a tangible asset which for some people is great because they love the idea of seeing their investment you know it's something you can touch it's something you can live in it's something you can renovate but it's also something that can be damaged it's something that an earthquake or a fire or or a robbery 
can affect and it comes with risks that you don't get with the stock market. The stock market's not going to call you up at 12am to say that, you know, it's lost its keys and it needs you to come and drive over and give it a hand. And I think at the end of the day, neither is more risky. They both have their own risks. They both have their own pros and cons. It's just a matter of working out what's best for you. And in all honesty, a lot of people do both. I think with real estate, you are putting in less money to get more money in terms of leverage, but you just ha- yeah, have a, you know, a couple more risks that you might not have with the stock market. But some people love it and they love the idea that you're using the bank's money to make more money. I guess at the end of the day, it's what you're comfortable with doing because no matter what option you go for, there's going to be some level of risk, so to speak. A hundred percent. And I think the only way you can make those decisions, the only way you can be like, you know what, I am more comfortable in real estate or I'm more comfortable in the stock market. The only way you can come to those conclusions is if you learn about them and if you get told about them in a way that is jargon free in a way that isn't someone explaining housing with the intention of selling you a house and I think it's very powerful and very empowering when you get access to the information in a non-biased way and you feel like you can make the choices best for you which is pretty cool let's wrap it up before we go and um, we have a little disclaimer girls that invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs they're not financial advisors and the advice on girls that invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision advice from girls that invest is general in nature and does not consider your individual circumstances Always do your due diligence and please do your research. Till next time, Sonia. Till next time. See you. See ya.